Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. Why so many children? Nine. Well, as someone says, they're both overachievers, I guess. <laughs> well, we didn't set out to have nine children. We're just, just old-fashioned Catholics, uh, you know, playing what used to be known as Vatican roulette. <laughs> so I'm starting today's episode with a clip there from a 60 Minutes interview with Justice Antonin Scalia. Uh, get us in the right frame of mind for today's discussion on theology of the body. And I think whenever anybody brings up um, natural family planning or um, they think of Catholicism and and their views on marriage and family life, this is what they're thinking of, what uh, Justice Scalia calls Vatican roulette. <laughs> um, of course, this is not what uh, what everybody is called to. Not everybody is called to be open to having nine children. Uh, there are, uh, it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, this is such a huge topic. I'm a little nervous to even try to tackle it in the, you know, 20 minutes, uh, 30 minutes or so that I'm going to discuss this, but uh, this was a requested topic a number of times, and uh, I, I want to want to talk about it a little bit because I think it's a very misunderstood idea. Um, and it's also one of uh, one of the reasons um, I ended up being Catholic, actually. Um, it, it was such a compelling idea to me. So I'm just going to go through what is theology of the body. If you hear that, what are we talking about? We're going to talk about philosophy and things like teleology. Uh, what is something's telos? What is something's purpose? Uh, it's sort of an Aristotelian idea. We're going to be talking about um, virtue ethics a little bit. Um, but this is going to be extremely introductory, so I'm going to hopefully provide um, a decent amount of resources in the show notes so that if you want to go learn more, uh, that that will be available to you. If you're new to the podcast, sort of an interesting episode to hop in here, um, but I'm Katie Marquette. This is uh, Born of Wonder. On this show, we explore anything and everything that inspires wonder and awe in the world. You can uh, learn more about me and uh, look up past projects, essays, all sorts of things like that at my website, bornofwonder.com. Uh, I also would really encourage you to sign up for my email newsletter, uh, which I'm trying to be a bit more um, purposeful about. I used to just sort of, anytime I wrote a new blog post or published something, I would just sort of dash off an email. Um, so sometimes you would get an email like three times a month. Sometimes you wouldn't hear from me for four months. But <laughs> uh, this year, uh, it's, a, it's a lot more specific. I, I have a format. I, I share what's going on on the blog and the podcast, and I have recommendations, things like that um, from around the web and books and music and all sorts of things like that. So I, it's really the best way to stay in touch. Um, you never know when I'm going to have an existential crisis and and delete all my social media apps. So um, <laughs> although for now, I would encourage you to follow me there as well at Born of Wonder uh, on Instagram. Um, and you can just contact me through the website or, or, or on Instagram. 
But um, anyway, let's get going on today's topic. So what are, what are we talking about here? What is theology of the body? Alone, man does not completely realize this essence of being a person. He realizes it only by existing with someone, and even more deeply and completely by existing for someone. The communion of persons means existing in a mutual for, in a relationship of mutual gift. That is a quote from Pope St. John Paul II. Uh, from one of his talks uh, on theology of the body, that is the the um, origin of this phrase, this origin of this sort of uh, idea uh, that um, he formulated in a series of 129 lectures uh, during his Wednesday audiences in St. Peter's Square uh, and Paul the Sixth Audience Hall between September 5th, 1979 and November 28th, 1984. So I have this huge book. Uh, I'm holding it right now. Let me just make a sound of what it sounds like when I drop it on the desk here. So <laughs> it's a big book. It's a big book. Um, but this it's it's a lovely edition. It's called Man and Women. He, Man and Woman. He created them. A theology of the body, and it contains every single um, one of those uh, those those talks that Pope St. John Paul II gave. Uh, they're dense reading. Um, this is something I've been flipping through, underlining, looking at for years, uh, and there are also uh, other commentators that sort of make uh, some of the content more digestible, people like Peter Kreeft, etc. Um, so you might not want to necessarily start with this, but I do um, recommend uh, having it on hand if you're interested in this topic. Uh, I should say that they are also available online. Uh, you can just look them up. I will also put them in the show notes, but um, they're certainly a lot easier to read. And this is definitely the sort of things that you want to flip through and underline and mark up and, you know, all, all those sorts of things. So um, I'm going to be drawing drawing from from some of these, these talks. But like I said, this is a huge topic. This is a huge book, um, years worth of material here of like dense philosophical ideas. So we're just going to try to get to the heart of what uh, what theology of the body is, why it is compelling, and why it should inspire uh, wonder for us. Um, and and I think that it's, it's a worthwhile topic to to look at, um, no matter what your religious or non-religious background. I mean, this is really a topic of philosophy, and actually, I think it's one of the more compelling theological ideas that can be accessible to um, to anyone, uh, regardless of of their their faith faith tradition, um, because we are embodied people, uh, regardless <laughs> of uh, of what we we view that embodiment as meaning. We we live in bodies. We have to um, contend with them and all the messiness that is entailed in being a, a physical creature uh, that sort of has a spiritual desires uh, as well as physical ones, and that can cause a lot of complexity uh, ethically and um, and just in practicality about the way we live, the way we treat other people, because we are relational. We are foundationally relational. Um, so. Pope John Paul II starts uh, his talks with with Genesis. He starts talking about the creation story, and there are two creation stories. Um, if you go back and read through it, you'll be surprised to see that there's sort of um, sort of if you just sort of think of think of uh, Genesis, you're probably thinking of 
uh, the more narrative version, which is when um, Adam is created first and then Eve is created from his rib. But the first story told, uh, man and woman are actually created at the same time, but it, it's a much broader um, poetic uh, so, so sort of meditation. And But in the, in the second version, uh, the, the more... Um, memorable in a way because it's much more, told much more narratively like a story uh we have we have adam all alone uh he has been given uh the gift of naming all the animals of having dominion over all the birds of the sky the fish of the sea the the beasts of the land and he names them one by one uh but he is alone he's alone and uh and god says it is not good that man should be alone and from adam's rib and also while he's while he's sleeping which is um interesting to think about too uh just in the the mode that dreams play and all sorts of things like that in these sort of mythic foundational uh ideas uh but anyway so eve eve is created bone of his bones flesh of his flesh um and finally he he understands who he is in relationship to who she is and this was something i absolutely loved learning back in college i took a class called biblical foundations where we um we really dove into uh really really close textual analysis of um of different uh, different sections of the bible and we would have a study partner it was sort of uh, mimicking the jewish tradition of of studying the torah and i actually took hebrew at a synagogue <laughs> for a summer with chris with my husband um which was very interesting we i, I wish i could remember um more than i do but i, I did know enough to sort of sound out uh sound out a lot uh, the words, even if I didn't quite understand them. But in any case, so as, as with so many things, if you go back to the original, you go back to the original language, you're going to see such richness there and um, such meaning. So uh, if you, so Adam is created, Adam basically meaning like earth man, earth um, creature, he's Adama, he's earth, he's clay. Uh, but then when Eve is created, um, it is then that he becomes Ish and Isha. And so it be becomes a man and woman. So he actually changes sort of his identity in relation to who she is. Um, and they become uh, s separate beings, uh, more fully themselves. They become individuals. They become Adam and Eve, not just Earth, uh, but only in relation to one another. So this foundational idea in Genesis says that we, f first of all, made in the image and likeness of God, I recommend going back to my podcast episode, What Does It Mean to Be Human, uh, if, if, that, um, if that idea is compelling to you. But made in the image and likeness of God and made relational. It is not good to be alone. Uh, and they um, are also created without shame. There is no, um, there is no awareness of, of shame between them. It is only after the fall, after the uh, disobedience, um, that that they realize they are naked and they are afraid uh, and they they hide from God in the garden that is the first thing they do they hide and cover themselves so sort of on this uh, theological level that we're talking here initially I'm going to talk a bit more um, how we can approach this topic um, from a more secular philosophical perspective in a minute but from this sort of foundational idea we know that human beings are created um, they are created good, they are created in the image and likeness of God, they are created um, at ease with their own bodies, their bodies are good, uh, there's nothing to be ashamed of, they are created relational, uh, they only understand one another in the context of knowing another. 
So that is something something to to keep in mind here. That is the the origin, the idea. So if you go into into John Paul II's talks here, that he has a, many many long sections um, about Genesis in the beginning. What does that mean? And he's putting it in the context of marriage and how marriage was really the first um, the first gift of of God, um, the first um, mode by which human beings. Uh, existed in the world uh, in relationship to God. Here's a quote. Marriage is the sacrament in which man and woman called to become one flesh participate in God's own creative love. They participate in it both by the fact that created in the image of God, they are called by reason of this image to a particular union. And because of the same union has from the beginning been blessed with the blessing of fruitfulness. So I always enjoyed hearing um, how marriage, marriage can be an image of the Trinity um, you, know, you have two persons, and from that person, from those two persons come another person, and maybe more persons after that. So you have this image, this creative, generative, relational, loving um, image of of God, and um, we actually become the symbols. Uh, so to use um, Paul Tillich's language, the the Protestant theologian Paul Tillich, he talked a lot about um, about signs and the purpose of symbols. And uh, what what are we pointing toward? How everything has the potential to become a symbol, but some symbols are closed. Uh, they have a clear ending point. A stop sign points toward something. It points to the fact that you need to stop. Okay, um, red light, same idea. Um, what does the cross point toward? What does um, what does a peace sign point toward? What does yin and yang point toward? That these ideas, these things that we recognize, uh, point beyond themselves. Great art points beyond themselves. Uh, Martin Buber, uh, the Jewish theologian, would have similar ideas about this, about um, painting and how uh, paintings and art and how we engage with them, how it, how in seeing the painting, uh, we, we see something beyond the painting because art is not closed, uh, not good art is not closed off. It always points beyond itself to greater truths. So this idea of marriage being a symbol in addition to a physical reality, um, that is that is what we're talking about here. And St. John Paul II also goes into d detail about um, about St. Paul's famous idea of marriage uh, in relation to the church, what, what that means, and also uh, what can seem sort of contradictory, honestly, and when Paul writes about about um, about the human body and you know the role of human sexuality and things like that um, and the evolving ideas of that what that means how different people are called to uh, to different expressions of the body different symbolic uh, modes of uh, in the world um, and uh, so yes there, there's there's a lot again as I said I feel intimidated to even talk about this um, but I do I, I, I do think it's worth introducing uh, you to it um, or at least um, at least a little bit here. So um, where to go from here? Um, so we're, we're in Genesis, we're in the idea that the, the initial um, mode of human beings was was relational and uh, and that the body is good, that the body is a good thing. That is something very important to understand in this whole idea of when we're talking about, um, human sexuality and theology of the body. The body is good. The human body is good. Uh, created good among all the other created goodness of the world. One of the first heresies, of course, was Gnosticism, which um, couldn't handle the uh, the, um, the the 
physicality um, of being a human being, the demeaning physicality, and said that uh, said that basically we are pure spirits. We are trapped uh, in these um, in these horrible bodies, and uh, and and that is that is the true reality. They actually had this idea that the creator god was actually a false god. They called it the demiurge. So the creator god. Um, uh, sort of created all this matter uh, and messed with uh, creation, which is meant to be pure spirit. So the whole goal is to escape our physicality, um, which is bad, which is contrary to our spiritual nature. That's Gnosticism um, and their related heresies um, about the idea of was Christ a, a full, fully embodied man or was he a, a God man in the spiritual sense? He was just a spirit. He didn't, you know, he didn't, he wasn't really fully man. But no, the church affirms fully, fully human, fully God. Christ was a human being in every sense of the word. Okay. Uh, and also that we are spirit and body we are soul and body you can't separate them um even in the resurrection it is an embodied resurrection um we we are physical we are very very physical i think it was walker percy who said that um that protestants are are um writers are like writers this is a metaphor he was using um because they're sort of drawing out of thin air and then writing um uh, just from their minds, uh, creating these fictions, creating these these worlds. Um, but Catholics are like sculptors. They need the clay. They need to be physical. They need to touch. And I always thought that I've always explained to people the role of the sacraments is the physical um, is in their physicality because we are physical beings. You know, when we 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 smell incense, we 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 talk to another person in confession. It's all well and good to to say, oh, oh, I'm sorry, and, and you can mean it. I mean, you can really mean it. You can pray that and mean that. But um, there is something about the uh, the humility it takes to 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 say certain things to another human being, um, and. Uh, I think that that's valuable because we are we are physical people. Um, anointing of the sick, another another person's hand on you, um, and of course the physicality of marriage of um, of the marriage act. All these things are uh, about what it means to be fully human. So maybe this might be a good moment to transition a little bit into what that means. What does it mean to be fully human? Um, and so what Pope John Paul II is uh, drawing on a lot actually is uh, Aristotle's idea of the, the telos, um, which means the full potential or inherent purpose or objective of a person or thing, um, similar to the notion of an end goal, raison d'etre, etc. So what is the, the telos of, um, you know, an animal? Uh, what, what, is, what does that life look like? What is the telos of a plant? It is to grow and thrive in the sun and to make more plants and things like that. So human beings have a telos. They have an inherent purpose or objective. Uh, and then so related to this idea is virtue ethics and virtue ethics is how to be a good person, how to lead a good life. And you lead a good life when you fulfill your purpose, your telos. Um, so this is uh, actually, this is going to be the topic on next week's episode uh, where I interview um, Benjamin Lipscomb, uh, who wrote this great book about four women philosophers um, at Oxford uh, in the wake of World War II, and they were really trying to figure out how do we address the the atrocities of the 20th century in um, in, in philosophy? Because at the time, uh, philosophy sort of mirrored the relativism that is uh, 
you know, the, the norm, I, I guess, still in academic circles, which is that basically we can't just say something is um, is is bad and inherently we have to say, well, it's bad in this culture, in this context, whatever. But they said, look, we have to be able, we have to find a philosophical reason. We have to find a, a system of ethics here where we can look at something like the Holocaust and say, no, that is bad in every age and every time. Uh, there, there is no relativism uh, when it comes to discussing the Holocaust, and and in order to do that, they really draw. They, they, they are all coming from very different perspectives. You'll, you'll learn all about them next week. But um, they all agreed on this idea that you don't have to bring in uh, an outside idea like God in order to see that there are uh, certain realities about being a human person, about living in a human society that are inherent to who we are, you don't, that, that our, our bodies and our minds and, and things like that reflect those realities, that there is a purpose to human existence. There is a healthy mode of living in a society. There's a healthy way of being a human being in which we fulfill, uh, fulfill our telos. We fulfill, um, our our mode of being a good person in this world by by following uh the a certain kind of life that leads leads you to that end goal so i think a lot of times people think with these sort of um more controversial ideas about sexual ethics all sorts of things like that that uh oh this is just pulled out of thin air i don't know misogynistic church people just decided they don't like women or something like that i don't know i don't know you know that, that it's just sort of random that this is just a uh totally random ethical idea that that came out of nowhere but this whole concept of theology of the body is saying no we can actually look at the human person we can look at the way we relate to one another we can look at um, the very physicality of our bodies uh, to see that there is a certain way in which um, they thrive best Um, and that that's the whole idea here So let's draw in um, another quote here of John Paul II. He says, The body and it alone is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. It was created to transfer into the visible reality of the world the mystery hidden since time immemorial in God's love for man, and thus to be a sign of it. So again, going back to the idea of the body becoming a symbol. The body is symbolic. The physical reality of embodied life becomes uh, it becomes symbolic in this way. And the symbol again of marriage of man and woman and their children and everything that comes from it, image of the Trinity, so on and so forth. So let's just address some of the ideas that people, if they hear this phrase, um, if they they think of, uh, if they hear Justice Scalia talking about playing Vatican roulette. <laughs> They're like, wow, the Catholic Church um, and the many other religions that uh, basically believe in this idea um, really backwards. I mean, this is just nonsense. I mean, do they know what women have to go through in pregnancy and childbirth? And what about finances? Shouldn't people be able to plan their families out? All these sort of things, all these legitimate questions, not they aren't crazy. I'm not trying to make light of them at all. Um, But here's the idea is that 
um, a man and a woman's fertility is not a disease. Uh, and we are treating it like a disease in our society today. We say that we need to, um, you know, what a birth control pill does is it suppresses your body's um, natural healthy cycles, um, mimics uh, sort of most of them sort of ingest you with a lot of progesterone, which sort of tricks your body into thinking you're pregnant so that um, you don't ovulate and then you won't get pregnant. So we're sort of, we're, we're, it, in the Aristotelian sense, we are we are we are messing with that telos, um, and uh, it's also just saying basically that um, human sexuality, like all physical aspects of being a human being, have a healthy way of expressing themselves. Um, there's a healthy way to eat. Uh, there's a healthy way uh, to exercise. There's there, that our bodies um, they they need certain things, and then sort of uh, because. Um, human sexuality is so tied to our relationships, it holds uh, a heavier weight. And because it has the potential to create other human beings, because it has the potential for children, it has, um, you know, uh, a bigger a bigger consequence, a bigger weight to it than uh, than than eating. But it really is in the same way. There's a healthy way to eat. There's there's things your body needs to stay healthy. There is a way for you to not obsess over food. Um, you know, avoiding gluttony, things like that. But also avoiding, um, you know, eating too little and thinking that um, that and starving yourself. Like there there's a healthy expression here. And again, we go back to this early idea that the relational. So. This is what the Catholic Church teaches. Again, if, if you ever have any question, you know, talk to your priest. <laughs> um, I don't want to misquote anything here, but I'm, I'm, I'm directly referencing theology of the body and the catechism here, saying that, uh, that, that, that um, human sexuality in the context of marriage is meant to be unitive and procreative. So you end that you can't have one without the other, that there, there has to be the potential, uh, the, the, uh, leaving open the option of, of a child, but also that this can't be, um, that this is unitive and loving and in the context of this relationship, this is not um, meant to be uh, <laughs> anything. This is supposed to be um, a good, healthy, enjoyable thing between two people who love each other. So that is the idea here. And then people are going to say, got it. I hear that Vatican roulette thing. Um, going to go enjoy those nine kids now. But <laughs> what the church also teaches is responsible parenthood. So, uh, and this, it takes into account, um, you know, things like finances and, uh, and just sort of the physical reality of your home, if you can even fit another person in it, things like that, but also mental health, um, you know, and that you have time for your, uh, for your, for your work and for your for your spouse and and to give yourself fully to the family that you have those are all valid reasons and it's also meant to be uh just between the couple that that discernment about if you want another child or not or open to the idea of another child is totally between the couple and there are many many valid reasons um why you uh might not be ready to have those nine children but um the, the church does ask that people think about it very, very seriously um, because uh, basically um, children are a good thing. They are, they, they are the natural, they are the telos of marriage. They are, they are a, a beautiful uh, gift um, and that 
it, it also asks that you, this is a continual discernment. That's why I always get, when I see um, birth control ads for things where it's like, oh good, you don't have to worry about having a kid for the next five years. Um, you know, a lot changes in five years, a lot changes month to month. Um, so it's, it's it, that that's the idea is that this is a continual discernment between two people in a loving marriage. And you're going to say, well, how the heck can you do that without birth control? That's where the natural family planning comes in, and that is um, not Vatican Roulette. It's not the Rhythm Method. <laughs> there, um, there are many, many resources. Uh, you can there, there are different modes. There, are the, there's the Creighton Method. There's the Marquette Method. It's not. <laughs> not named for me sometimes they tell people like oh i practice marquette they're like wow you named it for yourself it's kind of weird but um that's not what i'm talking about um and uh basically figuring out when uh you know days of fertility and things like that i'm gonna put all those resources in the show notes i'm not an instructor i um you know this is not my area of expertise i'm just trying to tell you just sort of in the practical sense of how this idea of theology of the body is lived out and also trying to address some of the uh the the attacks on um especially around this idea of birth control uh in 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 regard specifically to the catholic church although um many religions uh hold a similar stance but um, I know some other things that people are going to bring up are going to say, well, what about, you know, what about infertile um, couples? You know, what, about, what does their marriage mean? What is, what it, what's, what's going on there? You know, the church is so judgmental, you know, you just have to have kids. That's what it's all about. But that's really not, not what's being said. And again, I mean, we're talking about the uh, theology of the body and who wrote this. He, it was St. <laughs> John Paul II. He's a celibate Catholic priest, bishop, pope, okay? He is... Um, he is not in that physical relationship and he's still still seeing the goodness of it and his body his physical presence in the world is still symbolic is still a good thing there are many ways to be an embodied person and if you read theology of the body that it's much more complicated than just um sexual ethics and in the context of marriage and uh although the last part is um talking a lot about humane vitae and that that decision about uh, about birth control and things like that but um but this is a huge topic this is about being an embodied person and that can mean so many different things um marriage is just one mode of being an embodied person um but uh couples who are infertile uh are still fruitful they are still um they are still a beautiful presence in the world. They have gifts to share with the world. They're, the very fact of their relationship is going to produce amazing things in the world. Uh, so, so gifts, the fruitfulness of marriage and of relationships, uh, yeah, is not just about um, it is is not just about children. Though that though children are seen as a very very good thing. Family life is is a good thing. Um, there was a great. Uh, blog post it's an old blog post now now by um, the blogger Kendra Tierney who writes a lot about the liturgical year and things like that and uh, she wrote I think it was I'm going to try to find it and then put it in the show notes I think it was called something like you're worried about the wrong things when you're thinking about marriage because a lot of people are like oh I want to have a kid at this time and that time and that that will be our little unit and that'll be great and she um She's like, you're just worried about the wrong things because um, just looking historically, um, people are always like, oh, thank goodness for birth control because otherwise we'd all have 10 children and be impoverished. But actually like the median, you know, most people had maybe between like two, you know, two and three children. Um, most people's uh, fertility changes uh, in 
you know, based on their age and uh, life circumstances, most most people are sort of in that middle range of fertility. Um, there are people who are hyper fertile. It will be the nine or ten children, and there are the people who struggle with fertility issues. Um, but those are sort of the the extreme ends of these of the spectrum. Most people fall somewhere in between. Uh, and from a health perspective, um, theology of the body asks you to say, what is going on with my body? And it's, and it's you know, we're all about natu natural organic things these days. Um, this is a, a really healthy thing to do is to say, how is my body working or not working? And um, that, that can be a, a great way if you have fertility issues or something like that um, to, to, figure, to figure that out is to, to look at the body as something that uh, that that is is good in and of itself that has the potential to be healthy and uh, and that that you can sort of figure that out by looking at what it naturally needs. What does your body naturally tend toward? What what is um, uh, what is the natural end of your body? So. I feel like I rambled a lot on this episode. I was just sort of going off my notes here through this. Um, and again, this is <laughs> this is such a huge topic, but I hope maybe uh, it answered some questions. Um, I, I'll just say personally, I remember just reading these talks and just being sort of blown away by um, St. John Paul II's insistence on the dignity of the human person, body and soul, and that that dignity should be expressed in all areas of life, um, and in particular in the in the um, in in human sexuality, which has the potential to create other human lives, and in which we are extremely vulnerable and um, and and open with one another. That this is this is a, sort of a, a really important uh, a thing in human life, and it should be treated with gravity and respect, and uh, and that it is a gift uh, of of human life, and that we should treat it. Uh, as the as the amazing thing it is so very body positive to use <laughs> to use uh, some some trending language there but I hope it I hope maybe it inspired you to to look up more about it um, and uh, and and maybe just um, yeah yeah just to, to, to just be open to this idea that that your body is good and that uh, and that human sexuality is good and that all of this is connected um all of this is is a beautiful expression ultimately of um of a a loving universe a, a loving a loving world um that that has potential for beautiful relationships between uh between people and that that is really that that's one of the most beautiful things to me is is sort of just in that poetic way how adam doesn't really become a man until eve is created man and woman he created them they see each other um and only then they know themselves i think that's beautiful um so i'm just going to wrap up here um Again, you can follow me at Born of Wonder on Instagram. Hopefully this was a fun, I, th I, th I think I'm going to release this uh, the day after Valentine's Day. So keep the good times rolling for Valentine's Day. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm so excited for so many topics coming up. Um, I hope you've been enjoying the season so far. And uh, I always love to hear suggestions. You can email me. Um, again, I, I encourage you to sign up for the newsletter. And then if you have questions about things in the newsletter, you can just reply direct back to me. 
Um, but uh, if you have time to leave a review to share the podcast, I so appreciate it. And again, I have started a Patreon. Um, you could just pay $2 a month, which would help with the basic hosting fees for the podcast um, for me to get licensing for music and things like that. And also I pay a subscription for um, for this thing called Squadcast, which allows me to do these remote interviews. So um, it's certainly very, very helpful and much, much appreciated. Um, so I'm going to end with a recommendation as I always like to do. So uh, clearly I'm recommending that you read some more about Theology of the Body, but um, if you don't know much about Pope St. John Paul II, I encourage you to look up more about his life. Uh, I've written about him before. He's had a huge impact on me, um, and he, he's, he's, he's a pretty incredible person. So um, I'm going to put some links about him in the show notes, and then I'm going to play out here for us him reciting uh, the Pater Noster, the uh, Our Father in Latin. He has this big, booming Polish voice. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you're inspired. And uh, thank you so much, as always, for listening. I'm Katie Marquette, and this is Born of Wonder. Precepti salutaribus moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere. Pater Noster, fies in celis, Hi, it's me again. Um, just popping on here quick at the end. I actually mixed this whole episode and then uh, I was just thinking about it. And there were just a few um, last minute thoughts I wanted to add. And just again, to emphasize this as a as very much an introduction to a really huge topic. Uh, there's so much I, I wanted to discuss that I feel like I just scratched the surface. But I did want to, uh, to acknowledge that um, I talked about about the birth control pill, and I wanted to mention that there are, uh, in Catholic teaching, there are medical reasons uh, to use birth control that um, that don't have to do with contraception. I think that um, many women know uh, just from experience that the the pill ends up becoming sort of a band-aid to put on any sort of issue instead of dealing with sort of foundational problems. But there are certain circumstances which, for medical reasons, women um, may need to take uh, something something like the pill uh, or, or, the, or the pill. So I just wanted to acknowledge that and also emphasize that there are so many unique circumstances uh, to each individual that uh, that can't possibly be covered here by me. Um, 
So I want to acknowledge that and then also to say that, um, you know, when you talk about these things, you say, oh, it's like, this is all natural. I don't know why everybody's not on board with these things. Uh, you know, a lot of people are. Um, the New York Times uh, recently covered how a lot of women are switching to uh, what's called fertility awareness-based methods um, for birth control, basically, which is essentially... Uh, many of the same uh, same ways of understanding a woman's fertility and um, fertile days and things like that uh, that that Catholics are using when they talk about natural family planning, but they really are uh, different in in mentality. And I think that uh, you you see the cliche of a big Catholic family, uh, especially today, is not because they quote unquote had to have a big family or you know could not use birth control and were sort of laden with these children, but um, it's a it's a mindset shift uh, and in a different way of viewing family life and viewing children, and I think that many people, when they sort of have this this door opened up to them of of understanding children as a as a gift and uh, and to really be constantly discerning, um, not just years but every month, you know, uh, what what would another child mean? Um, would that be would be, would that be okay? Uh, that a lot of a lot of people realize that they actually they actually do want more children, and there's a whole concept um, called the fertility gap uh, that um, says that basically most women have less children than they hoped for. Uh, that is that that's across, especially in Western industrialized societies. So uh, there's that's a, a whole other topic. So basically, um, when you talk about theology of the body, you end up talking a lot about um, about these um, fertility issues and, and human sexuality because that's all tied up. But theology of the body is a huge, uh, a huge concept that covers um, sort of the meaning of the human body um, in, in space and time and theologically and symbolically and all these things uh, that, that encompass uh, many other aspects of the, of the self of the self and the role of the body. So I just wanted to acknowledge that I'm linking in the show notes also a great uh, piece by Haley Stewart about about um, how how Catholics view children and family. So um, it's called More Kids, uh, the Inestimable Value of Our Wearying Children. I think that's the title. So I'm going to find that and put it in the show notes. So thanks for indulging me here with this last minute note. Uh, I'm going to tag on um, maybe something else here just so we can end on a uh, not just with me talking. How about I'm going to I'm going to put in here um, Rachmaninoff's uh, th- uh, Rhapsody on the Theme of Pagnini. Uh, I love this piece. I think it's beautiful, and um, we had it play at our wedding. It's what I walked down the aisle to. So a nice romantic song for you um, here, and happy belated Valentine's Day. And again, this is an introduction, so um, enjoy enjoy uh, the rabbit hole of research that hopefully this uh, provoked uh, for you. Okay, thank you so much. I'm Katie Marquette. This is Born of Wonder.
And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. 